Well, good morning. Let me uh, start us off by getting us thinking about a statement. Um, my suggestion, actually my assertion this morning from Scripture is that grace is drawn to weakness like lightning is drawn to high ground. Grace is drawn to weakness like lightning is drawn to high ground. And just as with lightning, great power can flow. We tend to think of power um, as something you have to grow into. You get bigger and better and stronger and more influential and more powerful and more controlling and smarter and pick your lane. Power is something you grow, not shrink into. And there's a measure of reality to that, but at the heart of the gospel message, at the heart of living a life in partnership with God is this counterintuitive, seemingly contradictory, and yet absolutely essential reality that says grace is drawn to weakness. Grace is drawn to weakness, and power flows in that place. And I know some of us have experienced that in pretty profound ways, and if that's your experience, my encouragement is to be reminded of that this morning and to offer yourself afresh to God, to worship him, to thank him, to remember and to celebrate. And if that's not been your experience, my encouragement would be to listen up. Because whatever path you're on, that one is not going to be satisfying. The, the pathway of weakness is actually the one that's going to be satisfying. I have found that in my own life, so much has come through weakness. Uh, the fact that I do what I do is absolutely counterintuitive to the way God made me. Um, parts of who I am, it totally makes sense. Um, but even, even in those strengths, there's these things that kind of are a little surprising. I remember in high school when we were all taking our SATs and had our dreams of here's what we're going to do and here's what we're going to become, and we all started comparing our SAT scores, and I was, I was distressed that my verbal scores were as high as they were. My verbal scores were higher than any of my friends. And you would think that would, well, that'd be great, right? But I, I didn't want to do anything verbally. I was no good verbally. I wanted to be a scientist. My mathematical scores were really high as well. God blessed me intellectually. So I had enough there, but I, I, I just wish that he would take some of those points off of my verbal score and put them even further onto my math score because who needs verbal skills? You would think that I would have clued in at that point that maybe there was something God had, but I didn't. Because the thing about verbal skills on an SAT test, that's training your facility with, or that's, 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 that's evaluating your facility with language. It's not evaluating your facility with people. And in order to actually use verbal skills, you have to use them verbally. And that was really, really hard for me, right? If you've been here a long time, you've heard part of my journey, and I rehearse it periodically, even though it's actually embarrassing to me. I rehearse it to myself and even occasionally to you as, as a testimony of what God can do. I'm the guy who was so shy, so painfully, backwardly, dysfunctionally shy that in school I was afraid to ask my teacher to go to the bathroom. So I wet my pants in the classroom because I was too embarrassed to raise my hand. And I was in the sixth grade. 
That's saying, I heard the groans. It's like, yes, and that's how I feel inside when I remember that. It's like, are you kidding me? I got a C in my speech class. Now, some people would be satisfied with a C, but I'm an A student. A C means I was doing poorly. I was doing miserably. I think the teacher just had pity on me because I was miserable the entire time. So when I got these SAT scores and saw I actually have some sort of wiring to do something verbally, it didn't make any sense. Why would God do that? Because the only thing I would use that for is communicating with people, and I'm so shy. I'm so backwards. I'm so much preferring to just be to myself. And yet God put me in a... If you don't think God has a sense of humor, just look at me. There's a whole bunch of things that you might look at me and laugh, but that's one. You could just look at me and go, God said, here, take that guy and put him in front of people, have him lead people, have him talk to people all the time, and, and just put him out there, right? I, even, even sharing my story is, is just really an obedience to God. Here's some verses that I came across many years ago that struck me. It's instructions that God gave through Paul to Timothy, And he says to him, don't neglect the gift which you have, which has been given you by the prophecy when the council of elders lay their hands on you. Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this, for in so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Okay. I left out the middle verse. This is the part that's hard. Do not neglect the gift. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. In other words, live your life on display. There's nothing I would rather not do than that, than to say, hey, people are watching me, and to make it worse, sometimes I actually give testimony to what God's doing, and yet that's what God says. And in doing that, he, he gets to highlight things that he's doing in me, and, and maybe highlight things that he wants to do in you through how he can use somebody like me. And um, as you see how God works in me, maybe he works in you in similar ways, right? Something that's generally true, I've experienced, and I think we can all intuitively connect with this. If you ask people what they really want to accomplish in life, it doesn't matter if they're a believer or not a believer, they could be secular, they could be an atheist. Typically, one of the most common responses is, I want to make the world a better place. I I want to make a difference that matters, And the reason for that is that's actually hardwired into us by God. When God created Adam and Eve, he created them to do just that. I want you to represent me in the world. Here it is. Here's what I put in it. Here's what I put in you. We're going to walk this journey together, and you're going to make it better. He gave six commands at the beginning. We tend to focus on the ethical command, which was the last one. The first five were all about purpose, and they were all about taking the world and making it a better place, filling it up with goodness. That's wired into us. But if we're actually going to see that happen... The key is that we would be partnered with God. We were never made to do that apart from God. That's why we struggle. That's why so many of our stories keep tanking. It's because we're not not lining up with God. And for some of us, maybe you're here this morning, and you've never really resolved the question of where you really stand with God. May I just encourage you that you were made for him, you were made by him, He loves you intensely. He has amazing things for your life, but you will only truly fully experience those in partnership with him. You cannot go it alone. That will crash and burn. 
And he has sent his son to open a pathway to restore relationship. Because we have put up so many roadblocks, first and foremost, by us saying, I'd like to set the agenda. I'd like to call the shots. I'd like to choose the path. That's God's job. And what I've done is in my heart, I have literally committed cosmic treason. I'm, I'm seeking to overthrow the government of the universe. And like treason, it always has a death penalty to it. And that's why Jesus came. And he came to satisfy the penalty and to open a doorway. If you don't have that relationship, you're not sure where you stand in that relationship, we would love to talk to you because fundamentally, God wants to take your story and, and catch it up into something that's truly significant and eternal and lasting. And what he's done in my own life is he's taken my story, and, and it's far from perfect because I still struggle, but he's taken that and caught it up into what he's doing. And in doing that, he said, look, it's not just your strengths that I want, it's your weaknesses. I want you to care enough. You, you, you know, you see the little phrase, you know, care, love enough to give your best or care enough to give your best. That's the kind of thing you can picture hanging on a wall somewhere. You don't, you don't picture hanging on the wall, love enough to give your mediocreist. But if I'm really serious about following Jesus, I need to love, to give, love enough to give my mediocreist and my worst too. Because if I only give my best, honestly, most of me is not really my best. So I only give God a little bit, and what happens to the rest of that? Right? He wants me to give everything. And offering him my weakness, my limitations, gives him space to do something really extraordinary. My own experience is he's taken things about me that he put into me that are strong, and he's taken things about me that he's put into me that are weak, and he's worked through all of those things to accomplish things that I never could have done if I hadn't just said, okay, you win. Here you go. Here it is. I'm not a very bold person, and yet I'm constantly supposed to stand up and speak and lead and say, let's do this and let's not do that. That doesn't come naturally. I have a lunch appointment after the second service, right? Going out to lunch with some people. I don't yet know what I'm having for lunch because I'm going to ask them to choose the restaurant. But once they choose the restaurant, I know what I'm having because I am absolutely adventure averse. I don't like to go new places. I don't like to try new things. I like life simple. I like it small. And yet, if you've been around any period of time, you know I've been all over the world in all kinds of crazy situations because God, my weakness has attracted God's grace. And in that journey, his power has shown. Last week, I think it was, I shared a, a story from India, which we used to go to India years ago. There was a whole season, about 10 years, of very fruitful partnership we had there. And I was actually the one who kind of started that off. The, uh, the first trip, I had to be talked into going. And then um, the guy that was going to lead the trip, I didn't know him, and I met him just a short time before and learned in that meeting that he was legally blind. He turned his head whenever he would talk to me to catch me out of the corner of his eye because his macular degeneration was so much that he said, if I look straight at you, you disappear. So I have to catch you out of the corner of my eye. He said, he said, I hope you're okay with going to a, a difficult country being led by somebody who can't see. It's like, well, okay, that's a bit of a stretch, but all right, well, I'm in, we'll do this. Show up at the airport, and his arm is in a sling because he broke his arm two days prior. So literally, I'm going to India with a guy who is blind and Lame. He has a limb that doesn't work properly and it's affecting everything. And this blind and lame guy is leading this 
terrified and lame guy in a totally different way on this trip. We get there, 11,000 miles. First day out in the villages, we're out on the road and a train is parked across the road and I am grateful. Thank you, Jesus. I hope they never move the train. Right, this is literally what's in my heart and my mind. I hope, I, we, we, we tried. We gave it a good try. Now we can go home. We did good. 11,000 miles of try and I'm ready to go home because it's gonna, if that train moves, I'm gonna have to start talking to people. Right, that's the way I'm naturally wired. And God, in his great wisdom and sense of humor, said, good, good qualifications. So you stand up, and you talk, and you lead, and you do these things. And God has done some pretty cool things in my life and ultimately through my life. And, and, and over time, he's grown me in so many ways. And yet, I still find within myself, at, at a very core level, when I'm quiet, that there's still so many vestiges of that wiring that's still there. I was telling Devet the other day, you know, my ideal life is like a hand in water. You stick your hand in the bucket of water and you pull it out and nobody notices. In, out, doesn't make any waves. That's my ideal life. If left to myself. And yet there's things that I'm praying very specifically. I've got this prayer, one, 10, 100, and 1,000. The 100 and 1,000 are things that I'm asking God for that totally don't fit the hand in the bucket of water. I'm asking that before I'm done, I would be able to replace myself with kingdom workers who are peers of mine 100 times. And that I'd be able to take 1,000 people to heaven with me. All of that ambition is totally a God thing because I'm the hand in the bucket of water guy. And yet what I've experienced in my own life, and I still have to experience it day by day because it's easy for me just to default and pull back, is to say my weakness attracts God's grace and his power flows through that my encouragement to you is that you would come this morning and wherever you are, you would say, I'm not a whole lot here, God, but what I am is yours. All of my weakness, it's yours. Let your grace flow. Let your power express. That's precisely the climax of, of Paul's wrestling with what the Corinthians have been thinking and seeing in these super apostles that they think are so cool. And Paul is saying, no, no, no. Here's what real ministry looks like. Here's what a life lived with Christ looks like. He lives it as an apostle. I live it as a pastor. You live it in your particular context, but the dynamics are still the same. And it comes down to this. Weakness is how God works. If you have your Bible, open to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians 11. Now, let's just pick up his flow here. And, and I want to give you three simple phrases that you can kind of, hopefully, that'll lodge in your mind, you can keep with you, that'll help you, I hope, because I see them in Paul's life here, and, and I'm trying to use them in mine, that will help you and me stay on target and say, here's how to navigate. Keep it simple. Keep it real and make it worship. 
Keep it simple, keep it real, make it worship. Keep it simple. It doesn't have to be fancy. So many of the things that turn our heads and get us excited, the big, the grand, the, the, the miraculous, those things may have their place, but foundationally, my life is going to have an impact in this world. It's going to be fulfilling for me, and it's going to honor Jesus if I have integrity in my words and in my walk. Just keep it simple. It's not rocket science. Keep it real. Come to grips with, I am weak. Whoever you are, you are weak. That's okay. That's what it means to be human. Embrace that. Embrace that in faith. It's not an excuse to just kind of duck and run. It's actually freeing for me to to step into what God has for me, whatever it feels like, because it's all beyond me. And he's going to meet me there. Keep it real. I am weak. And finally, make it worship. Make it worship. Embrace those dynamics and say, okay, here you go, God. This is yours. I offer it to you. What would have caused me to pull back? What would have caused me to be shy? What would have caused me to maybe run or hide or cover or curate so that it doesn't show? I'm going to hand that over to you joyfully as an act of worship so that you can work. Follow along. Will you please, starting in verse 30 of chapter 11, Paul says this, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. Now he's going to give us two examples of weakness. The first one, at Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. In other words, I had to run under cover of night. I had to be lowered over the wall in a basket and flee into the darkness. Not exactly a moment of great strength and triumph. That's what God has had me do. And that's okay. I'm not ashamed of that. Because he actually used that. Going on, then he's going to give us something that looks like a strength and in one way is a strength and something people would long for. The super apostles that he's been talking about saying, these guys that you're trying to listen to that you shouldn't, they'd be excited about what he's going to talk about. But he said, that's not really the point. Let me show you the weakness aspect of this and let's lean into that. So verse 1 of chapter 12, I must go on boasting, though there's nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast except of my weaknesses. So let's stop for just a second, understand what he's saying there. He's talking about himself, but he's using the third person because, in part, he's, he's trying to keep the focus on the weakness. Let's not enter too deeply into the narrative. My identity is not these amazing visions that I've had. My identity is elsewhere. In fact, if you want to know my identity, this is really key. I know a man in Christ. That's my identity. I'm not Paul, the mighty apostle, who's done this and that and planted this church and gone here and all these amazing things. I am just a man in Christ, and that guy has had some pretty extraordinary experiences. But I, want you to, I don't want you to focus on the experiences. I want you to focus on what comes out of those experiences. I want to talk about the weakness, not the strength. So let's put this, this part of my testimony at just enough distance that we don't get hung up there. 
right? Amazing things have happened. I was actually caught up into heaven, I think. I don't even know. It was so overwhelming, I don't know. Was I there? Was it a vision? I couldn't even tell. Everything was happening so fast. It was so extraordinary. I am face-to-face with God. I'm hearing things that I can't repeat. I'm not allowed to repeat. I probably couldn't articulate them in words anyway. I can't tell you fully what happened because it was so overwhelming. It was so extraordinary. But I was in heaven with Jesus That's the vision I had. Which everyone go, wow, that's amazing. And he's saying, hold on. It was amazing. But hold on. That's not the point. That's not where the focus actually belongs. That happened, to be sure. But I want to boast of my weaknesses. Verse 6. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool... For I'd be speaking the truth, right? I'm not, I'm not making this up. This actually happened. I could talk about that, but I'm not going to, other than to just set the backdrop here. Because my point is not the amazing things that happened. My point is, in my weakness, how God showed up. I refrain from it, middle of verse 6. So that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Now he's gotten to what he really wants to talk about. He's he's kind of brought it full circle. They've had their heads turned by these flashy, amazing communicators that look good, sound good, smell good. They're just like the real deal they've got to be because they look like everything a leader should be, everything a communicator should be. Why are we listening to Paul? And Paul's been wrestling with this throughout the whole letter because it's not about his ego. It's about their souls, right? I'm the one who brought you the the gospel. I'm the one who actually brought you the words of Christ. And if you reject me, you're in danger of rejecting him because these guys are just, they're tooting their own horn. They're they're strutting their stuff. They're building their kingdom. You don't know where they're going to lead you, but it's not good. Stop having your head turned and focus. And when he gets to the kind of the nub of the argument, the nub of the issue, he says, look, if you want to know what really matters is that God uses weak people, that's me. We need to be weak people. We need to own that we're weak people. We need to come to God as weak people so that amazing things can happen. That's what he's trying to get across to them. And in doing that, he shows three things about himself in this passage that will help me and will help you, I think. And they they boil down to those three phrases I gave you. Keep it simple. That's verses five and six. Keep it real. Seven through the first part of verse nine. And then make it worship. Second part of verse nine and verse 10. Keep it simple. We get so excited about so many things. We make it all complex and have all these big ideas. And that's not, they're not always wrong. But at the heart, 
He says, look, I'm telling you these things that happened to me, and I, I could talk about them. They're real. I wouldn't be foolish to just say, hey, here's what happened. It's, it's honest. But it's not really the point. Right? Verse 6. I'd not be a fool. I'm speaking the truth, but I refrain from it. Why? I don't want anyone to think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. Right? It's not about being flashy. It's not about the miraculous. It's not about the amazing. It's about the power of God through his word lived out day by day by regular people like you and me. You could know me for my visions. That's just one of them. He talks about visions, and we have multiple visions that he experiences in the book of Acts, for instance. We, we're led into a little of that story. This is a guy who had, at least periodically, direct revelations from God, where at points Jesus literally stood in the room with him. At points Jesus spoke out of heaven to him. At points Jesus pulled him up into heaven with him. I mean, he had experiences like crazy The miraculous just dripped from his life. He's done healings. He's done resurrections. All kinds of stuff has happened. But he says, what you need to focus on, what I want to be known for, what really matters, and why I don't really want to talk too much about the fancy stuff, is I just want you to know, I want you to judge me based on what I've said and how I'm living. Just the simple reality that God works in a life like mine. The power is not in me. Remember what we saw just a few weeks ago? Uche was preaching and he said, the weapons of our warfare, they're not earthly weapons. They're divinely powerful. There's something distinctive about them. They don't follow just the earthly patterns. And he unpacked that. And one of the key things is just truth, just the word of God. Nothing fancy. Just the simple reality. God has spoken and he's working in my life. And as I live that in the world, stuff happens. You know, I'm sure, that you have been impacted by some people who are actually quite simple. Quite vanilla. But they're faithful. Their integrity leads. Their word matters. I've had so many people who live pretty quiet lives that have made a deep impact just because of real relationship and the real work of God in their life that I could see. I've had people that have turned my head too. I was thinking about that this week. Somebody I idolized years ago, just really wanted to be like him, loved him. He was amazing. And every time I saw him or interacted with him, he just got me excited. And he, was, he, he could tell stories and he took an interest in me and he, all these amazing things surrounded him and happened. And, and I just, I wanted to be like him. As a teenager, it's like, that's, that's it. That's the picture. And then as I grew and got to know him more and more, that impact flipped 180 degrees to where at one point, it's like, I want to be nothing like him and I want to have nothing to do with him. He has no integrity. His word doesn't matter. He uses people. He's a liar. He's fun. He's amazing. He's exciting. And he's corrupt. Now, all of us are corrupt at the heart at one level or another, apart from the grace of Christ. But instead of leaning into that grace, he seemed to keep curating his picture of himself in the world. And for a while, I bought it. It made a lot of sense to me until I got to know him better. It's like, yeah, 
I'd rather just be around somebody who's real, who's honest, who's following Jesus, who I can count on, who knows the word and will tell me the word when I need to hear it. And that's the person that I want to be. That's who Paul is saying. He's saying, remember this from earlier in in 2 Corinthians. God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us, right? Keep it simple. It's about God's work changing my life and his word faithfully spoken through my mouth in your context. For me, that means getting up, talking every week in things that are not natural fit. And yet, in another way, they kind of are. It's like that mixed reality of here's enough that's really awkward that I just have to keep relying on God and there's enough that works for me that maybe I can do things that I couldn't otherwise do. God's God's got an arena for you. He's got an assignment for you. It may look nothing like mine. But you can be an accountant, you can be a, a mom, you can be a, you can be a dancer, you can be a, a, a fill in the blank, business owner, you, you, just a grandparent to the glory of God, whose agenda ultimately is to cooperate with, with God to be everything you're intended to be, to make this world a better place that he intends it to be through you so that the gospel shines out And that stuff of lasting value happens. And that happens through simple things. The life of integrity and the word of God. That's what Paul says. I don't want you to be all hung up on the fancy things that have happened. I just want to be judged by how I lived and the message I spoke. Because that simple reality, that's what really matters. Let's move on. Verses seven through the first part of verse nine. To keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited. Wait, didn't we just say that? Isn't that exactly the phrase we started the verse out with? Is, is Paul padding his writing because the editor said we need, uh, you know, 8,000 words here and he only had 7,050. And so it's like, uh, I'll say to keep me from conceited again. Maybe they won't notice. Why does he repeat himself? It's like that whole, that whole verse is wrapped in this idea, I need to be kept from being conceited. In fact, it's even more stark when you understand how he's saying it. That word used for conceited here, there's more than one word he could have used. The word he uses is only used by him in the New Testament. Nobody else uses it. And he only uses it here in 2 Corinthians 11 and 12 talking about those super apostles and about himself, this self-exaltation. And one other verse. Here's the other verse. Let me read this to you. Second Thessalonians. Chapter 2. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day, the day of the Lord will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist himself, is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself 
against every so-called God or object of worship so that when he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. The only other place he uses it, he uses it for the Antichrist, who's exalting himself, who is so arrogant that he literally puts himself in God's place and says, worship me. Now, this is, this is pretty stark. Paul's saying this. I'm really weak. Let's keep it real. I am really weak. And even my strengths have a poison pill in them that is my undoing. Right? This great thing that God did that everyone would love to say, wow, I've had this amazing vision. I've had these amazing experiences. Wouldn't that be cool? He's saying, it is cool, but it's dangerous because I am weak. I am so weak, in fact, I'm afraid, God's actually afraid, that I'm going to exalt myself like the Antichrist is exalting himself, and he's got to keep me in check, because if not, I'm going to run wild. I'm going to get so overexcited about this that this is going to define me. This is going to drive my life. He's got to keep me from living there, and so he actually lets hardship come into my life. I'm weak when I'm weak, and I'm weak when I'm strong. My strengths themselves turn into weaknesses so readily because I am so fundamentally broken apart from Christ. That's what he's saying. If I try to just lean into my strengths, there's a great danger there. The things that I'm best at that everyone's going to affirm can easily lead me down a path where I get corrupted so quickly. We've seen that again and again, haven't we? We've seen it in the church, we've seen it in the government, we've seen it in families, we've seen it in businesses. It's a common human condition. Paul's saying, let's keep it real. I am weak, I am weak. And even my strengths are in their own way weaknesses. And God is actually hemming me in. And that's why he's actually given me this thorn in the flesh, which we don't know what it is. By the way, if you're interested and you want to read a real nerdy book, Ken Birding, one of our uh, elders, who's also a uh, Bible scholar, has actually got a whole book on what is Paul's thorn in the flesh coming out. But it's, it's very nerdy. It's very complex. But if you're interested, when it comes out, you can get one and you can read it. And then you'll know what maybe it is. Nobody knows for sure. Something, some affliction, some malady, something. Paul says it's actually a, a messenger of Satan. There's actually kind of a couple of things going on here. I'm actually being attacked by Satan And God's letting that happen. And, and, you know, Satan's playing checkers with my life and God's playing chess. He's using Satan's actions against him and for my benefit, but he's allowing it to happen. Which, by the way, let me just give a quick aside here. If you're in a really hard place or a really dark place, you may be wondering, where's God in this? God couldn't possibly be in this. Paul is talking literally about being attacked by demons. I don't know there's a darker place than that. And yet he's saying, but in the midst of that, God's doing something. There is literally, there is literally no experience, no place, and no time in your life that is God forsaken. That is not a reality. It may be hard to see him, and you may not like what he's doing. That's reality. He is doing, and he's doing for your good. That's what he's doing for Paul. Even though this messenger of Satan is is literally attacking him with some sort of affliction, 
It's, it's bad enough that Paul says, oh, please, please take it away. All right, let's continue on in the text here. Verse 7, verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Three times I asked this to be taken away. God said, no, my grace is sufficient. And actually, it's not obvious to us because of our translations, but the way it's written, it puts the emphasis on sufficient. In other words, he's saying, my grace is totally adequate. It is totally enough. Whatever your experience, my grace is more than enough for that. I promise you. It is not going to come up short. It is not going to be thin. You're not going to say, boy, I wish I just had a little bit more grace. It is abundant. It is more than abundant. It is totally adequate to sustain you in this. And I will sustain you in this because that's when my power can flow. Paul's keeping it real. He's understanding his weakness and understanding that even his strengths are actually in the back door a weakness if he's not careful. And he's saying, look, God, if you'd take this away, that'd be great. And God says, it would be terrible if I took that away. Instead, I'll give you grace. More than enough to meet your need. Your weakness draws forth my grace. And my power will flow through this. So many... um, People seem to want to get bigger and bigger, and I understand that. I've had my own wrestlings with that at times. I was talking with a friend this week who has a, not a huge ministry, but a ministry that is, is known in some circles. And, and he was just talking about how, you know, at this point, I, I just want to get smaller and smaller. I don't want to get bigger and bigger. Not like I don't want to have a bigger and bigger impact. I just don't want to have a bigger and bigger name. I don't want to have a, I don't, I don't want that. I'm afraid of that. I've seen how that works with everyone else. And I just, I, basically, he's like, I want to keep it simple. I want to keep it real. I don't want to get in the trouble. I want God to do his work, his grace, and his power. I just want that to flow. That's what I'm looking for. And then Paul takes it a step further, and he says, okay, turn this into worship. Look at the second part of verse 9 and the end of verse 10. Therefore, I will boast... I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He's saying, God's um, power is going to be flowing because of my weakness. His grace is sufficient. I'm going to embrace that. I'm going to embrace that. I'm going to celebrate that. I'm going to delight in that. I'm going to care enough, not just to give God my very best, but I'm going to care enough to give God my very mediocreist and my very weakest. It's all his. You know, when I have a strength mentality that it's all about how I can do this well or my strength, That drives me to keep pursuing, and and it really has a superiority mindset. How do I get superior and superior and superior? And that's a dangerous path. If I have a weakness mentality that says all of it's God's, whatever strength I have, it's his too. It's not, I don't have to be coy. I am really good at some things compared to you. 
just as you're really good at some things compared to me, but remember what Paul said earlier about those super apostles comparing themselves to each other? They come off like complete fools. Picture two ants on the playground sitting on a bench arguing over who's the bigger, stronger ant. I'm the big ant. I'm the strong one. I, no, I'm the big one. I'm the strong one. And then a four-year-old sits on them and squashes them. That's our world. One ant is bragging to another, and there's always going to be some four-year-old with some random rear end that's going to put an end to it all. And Paul's saying, ah, whatever I got, it's his, and, and I'm not going to hold back the weakness. Right? If I'm just hung up on strength, I keep moving for greater and greater superiority. If, I, if I'm hung up on the fact that I'm weak and I'm willing to offer that, that to him, then I'm moving to greater and greater surrender. Which is kind of going to bless more? My pursuit of superiority or my pursuit of surrender? That's what Paul's saying. If, if, I, have to, if I have to always just do whatever I'm good at, and I can't afford to open anything else up. If I'm not willing to take a risk, if I'm not willing to look a fool, if I'm not willing to do anything that I'm not comfortable with. In other words, if I'm gonna live within my competencies and go towards my strengths only, my world gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And it's very limiting. On the other hand, if I embrace the fact I'm weak, that's just real. And everyone else is weak. That's just real. Whatever strengths I have, I give those to God, but there's a poison pill in them that I've got to be careful of. Whatever weaknesses I have, I give those to God too. I have no idea how he's going to use them, but his grace is drawn to weakness and his power will express. When I take that kind of mindset, everything's potential. It opens up everything. There's nothing I couldn't attempt if God led me to attempt it because I'm not assuming that I have to have it all figured out and know how to do it and be capable of doing it. Now, there's a lot of foolishness that can happen. This is not a sermon to say, yeah, throw caution to wind. It doesn't matter if you're terrible at this, go do it anyway. That's not the way God works. But it is a heart thing. It is a heart thing that says, grace is what I need. And power shows up in weakness, it's offered to him as worship. See, that's the key. It's not I can just randomly be weak and lazy. It's I take that and I see, here it is. I know it's nothing. I know I'm no good at this. And honestly, God, I'd really rather not do this. And if you say, don't worry about it, I'm gonna cheer and walk away smiling. But if you say, nope, that's actually what I'm calling you to do, by your grace, I'll do that. And let your power work its way out. Some of you have heard of John Stott. He was one of the great leaders of the last generation in the church, a Brit, pastor and scholar. 1958, he was involved in a major outreach at a university in Sydney, Australia. And the day before the last outreach, it was a series of meetings where he was preaching. The day before that, he learned of his father's death. And by that time, his voice was nearly gone. And so he describes his final day this way. It was already late in the afternoon within a few hours of the final meeting of the mission, so I didn't feel I could back away at that time. I went to the great hall and asked a few students to gather around me. I asked one of them to read, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. 2 Corinthians 12. Student read these verses. Then I asked them to lay hands on me and pray that those verses might be true in my own experience. 
when the time came for me to give my address, I preached on the broad and narrow ways from Matthew 7. I had to get within a half an inch of the microphone, and I croaked the gospel like a raven. I couldn't exert my personality. I couldn't even move. I couldn't use any inflections in my voice. I croaked the gospel in monotone. And then when the time came to give the invitation, there was an immediate response larger than any other meeting during the mission as students came flocking forward. And then at the time of giving this testimony, he says this, I've been back to Australia about 10 times since 1958, and on every occasion, somebody's come up to me and said, do you remember that final meeting in the University Great Hall? I jolly well do, I reply. Well, they say, I was converted that night. Strength is manifest in weakness. It's just real. You're weak. Whatever you're good at, you're not that good at. Or whatever you're really bad at, that actually doesn't matter so much. Because I'm not designed to operate in my wisdom and in my power. I'm designed to operate in partnership with the almighty God who has no lack. And if he called me into something, it may be a bumpy ride, it may be a scary ride, it may be a difficult ride, I may find myself feeling embarrassed, I may find myself feeling intimidated, I may find myself struggling, but I will find fruit because his grace is sufficient and his power is perfected. It's brought to its full expression through weak people who say, all right, I'm weak. Let me worship you in that. We gotta keep it simple. It's just about living life with Jesus and sharing his word. We gotta keep it real. We are nothing special. One ant arguing with another ant until the four-year-old comes along. It's not a very complimentary picture, but I think it's a pretty accurate one. But God's special. And I can offer what I am and what I have and what I don't have and what I'm not from my perspective as an act of worship and actually delight in that he might use me. Who knows what he might do? I don't know what's before you right now. You may have something that you're wrestling with, you're struggling with. By all means, if you can operate in your strengths, do so. There's plenty of scripture to say that's a good thing. There's a reason God gave you those things. But by all means, do not let that limit you and do not be naive to the poison pill that's in there. And if he's calling you to do something that feels awkward, difficult, way beyond your comfort, but he's calling you, his grace is more than enough and his power will express if you let him. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your grace in my life. Thank you for your grace in this family and for the way that you work. I pray that we would we would stay lined up. We would continually realign our hearts and our lives with you, that we would walk and speak with integrity and that we would understand, you know, we're just weak, but you're great. And so here we are, and we would offer all of that to you in worship. Lord, this offering, um, these gifts we give right now, we offer those to you in worship and ask you to use them. It's a small offering. We're a small group. It's not much here to speak of, but you're here. And that's more than enough. So would you take these gifts and do something extraordinary? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.